ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا وسيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله اما بعد so carrying on with Lum'atul I'tiqad, we arrived at the section now where the author says, وَكُلُّ مَا جَاءَ فِي الْقُرْآنِ أَوْ صَحَّ عَنِ الْمُصْطَفَى عَلَيْهِ السَّلَامِ مِنْ صِفَاتِ الرَّحْمَانِ وَجَبَ الْإِيمَانُ بِهِ وَتَلَقِّيهِ بِالتَّسْلِيمِ وَالْقَبُولِ وَتَرْكُ التَّعَرُّضِ لَهُ بِالرَّدِّ وَالتَّأْوِيلِ وَالتَّشْبِيهِ وَالتَّمْثِيلِ He says, everything which has come in the Qur'an, then we must have iman in it. And everything which is authentic, sahih, from the sunnah of the Prophet wasallam about the names and attributes of Allah, then we must accept all of that. Everything in the Qur'an, everything in the authentic, proven sunnah, about the attributes of Allah, then we must have iman in all of that. And we must accept it and submit to it. And we must not get involved in trying to delve into it by trying to interpret these things ourselves or making resemblances between them and the creation or giving examples of similarities between Allah and creation. We do not do that. هذا بيان لمنهج أهل السنة والجماعة السلف الصالح وهو أن كل ما ذكر في القرآن أو صح عن نبي الله محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم من أسماء الله عز وجل وصفاته وجب الإيمان به على الوجه الصحيح This is the methodology of أهل السنة This is the way of أهل السنة That we believe in everything which is in the Quran and we believe in all of the true and sahih, authentic, established sunnah from the Prophet ﷺ about the names and attributes of Allah. So whatever Allah mentions about Himself in the Qur'an, in the sunnah, then we accept what is there. We do not try to interpret it ourselves in our minds we do not try to make imaginations in our head about what Allah looks like. You do not do that. That is not correct. Rather, we understand it all in the correct understanding. And that is the understanding of the Salaf. And the way of the Salaf is known. آمنوا بجميع الأسماء الثابتة لله تبارك وتعالى الواردة في القرآن الكريم وفسنة المطهرة. The way of the Salaf is what it is that they believe in all of the proven names of Allah that are mentioned in the Quran and the Sunnah. إيمانا بصفات الله الذاتية والفعلية بدون تحريف ولا تمثيل ولا تأويل ولا تعطيل كما جاء في القرآن ليس كمثله شيء وهو السمع البصير أهل السنة it is also the methodology of أهل السنة the salaf that we believe in all of the names and the attributes of Allah as they have been mentioned in the Qur'an and the Sunnah without making any tahrif 
meaning without distorting or altering, trying to change the meanings of the names and the attributes, without making tamthil, making comparisons and resemblances, without making ta'wil, our own interpretations, and without doing ta'atil, rejection. An example, Allah mentions in the Qur'an, that He is the all-hearing and the all-seeing. Allah hears and Allah sees. So we believe Allah hears and Allah sees, because Allah told us in the Qur'an, the ayah, لَيْسَ كَمِثْلِهِ شَيْءٍ وَهُوَ السَّمِيعُ وَالْبَصِيرُ السَّمِيعُ الْبَصِيرُ he is the all-hearing and the all-seeing. Two of the names and attributes of Allah there. He is the all-hearing and He is the all-seeing. So we believe Allah is the all-hearing and the all-seeing. We do not though, try to make any interpretation or change to that. We do not say that Allah hears like we can hear. No. We do not say Allah sees like we can see. No. We do not compare Allah to creation at all. Haram. To try and compare Allah to creation. Allah is superior to creation. Another example Allah mentions about the hands. It's mentioned about the hands of Allah in the Quran. Mentions it in some ayat. So we affirm and we believe this ayah. That Allah has hands. But... We cannot imagine that. We cannot try and compare to creation. We cannot give any interpretation. We can't do any of that. Nobody has seen Allah. We cannot give our own interpretations, our own explanations. But what is in the Quran, then we take it and affirm it and believe in it because that is the speech of Allah. We don't try and give our interpretations. Some people they say, no, what do you mean? How can Allah have hands? That means something else. It means that Allah is powerful, for example. So they have made an interpretation of these ayat where it talks about the hands of Allah. They say it means the power of Allah. Another example when it says in the hadith that in the last third of the night, when it's the last part of the night, Allah descends to the lowest heaven. Allah comes down to the lowest heaven in the last third of the night and says, who is asking for my forgiveness and I will forgive them? Who is asking me for repentance? I will give them the forgiveness. The tawbah will be accepted. Who is asking me for anything else and I will give it to them? Allah comes down to the lowest heaven in the last third of the night. Mentioned in a hadith which was narrated by many companions. Not just one or two, many. Mutawatir. The people of innovation, they come along and say, No, how can Allah come down to the lowest heaven? Allah coming down to the lowest heaven, that can't be the meaning. They say what it means is, Allah's mercy comes down to the lowest heaven. Or Allah's command comes down to the lowest heaven. Not Allah Himself. So they've made an interpretation. But these interpretations they make about these ahadith, about these ayat, they are not correct interpretations. Because those interpretations were never made by the Salaf. Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiallahu anhu never said that. Umar ibn al-Khattab never said that. Uthman, Ali radiallahu anhumah never said that. So where have they got this interpretation from? In the hadith it says Allah comes down to the lowest heaven. We believe therefore Allah comes to the lowest heaven because that is what's in the hadith. They say no, it is different interpretation. Maybe the mercy of Allah comes down. Maybe that's what it means. How do you know that's what it means? Who gave you this interpretation? Did the salaf give you this interpretation? Did the companions give you this interpretation? Who gave you this interpretation? the people themselves made it up. And so that cannot be acceptable. We cannot accept the interpretations of people when the companions did not make these interpretations. These interpretations end up false. The mercy of Allah descends. Some of them say it means the mercy of Allah descends. 
in the last third of the night every day. Does that mean the mercy of Allah comes down to this earth only once a day? In the last third of the night, there is no mercy any other time of the day. Allah is not merciful to anybody any time except the last part of the night. Nonsense. Allah's mercy is everywhere all the time. Allah's mercy encompasses the people. We breathe the air, all of these people eating, drinking, breathing. Mercy of Allah. How can you say Allah's mercy only comes down in the last third of the night? Wrong. Some of them say it means the angels of Allah come down in the last third of the night. How can that be? Because in the hadith it says, Allah says, who is asking me and I will give it to them? Can an angel say, ask me, make dua to me and I'll give it to you? Can angels do that? Not at all. That is from the rububiyah of Allah, the lordship of Allah. Only dua to Allah and Allah answers, not the angels. Not even the angels, you cannot make dua to them, they do not answer your dua. So it can't be the angels. So these interpretations people make, misguide them. Allah says, for example, in the Qur'an, ثُمَّ اسْتَوَى عَلَى الْعَرْشِ Allah rose above, established above the throne. In the Qur'an, in different ayat, not just one, multiple. Several ayat in the Qur'an, Allah mentions He is above the throne. People come along and say, no, no, Allah isn't really above the throne, Allah is everywhere. Allah is everywhere. Allah is not just above the throne, Allah is everywhere. Where have you got that interpretation from? How have you come to this interpretation? In the Qur'an it says Allah is above the throne. Why are you telling me no, that means something else? Where have you got this other meaning from? So when people make up their own meanings and their own interpretations, that is not the correct aqidah. That is the way of the people who became misguided. The Sunni, the person of the Sunnah, Ahlul Sunnah, they don't make these own interpretations from their heads. Whatever is in the Qur'an and the Sunnah as it is, we accept it like that. About the names and attributes of Allah. Allah says He has hands, we accept. We can't imagine how. Not allowed to do that, but we accept. Allah says He has eyes, we accept. Allah hears, He sees, we accept all of these things. But we don't try to imagine Allah what He looks like. We can't. Nobody has ever seen Allah. And we don't know what these attributes are like. Allah has eyes, has hands, we don't know what or how. We can't imagine them like our eyes and hands. No, haram. So Allah says, لَيْسَ كَمِثْلِهِ شَيْءٍ There is nothing that resembles Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. There is nothing even of the resemblance of Allah. Nothing that you can imagine. Nothing that you can interpret. So we do not attempt to make any comparison or resemblance or imagination to Allah. But we accept and we affirm the names and attributes as Allah has mentioned them. وَلَا يَجُوزُ رَدُّ شَيْءٍ مِّن نُصُوصِ الصِّفَاتِ It is not permissible for anyone to reject anything from the texts about the attributes of Allah. لَا مِنَ الْكِتَابِ Neither from the book. وَلَا مِنَ السُنَّةِ Neither from the sunnah. بَلِ الْقَبُولِ وَالتَّسْلِيمِ لِكُلِّ نَصٍ وَرَدَ فِي الْكِتَابِ وَالسُنَّةِ فِي هَذَا الْبَابِ الْعَظِيمِ Rather, we accept and we submit to the texts that are mentioned about the names and attributes of Allah. وَهُوَ بَابُ مَعْرِفَةِ اللَّهِ بِذَاتِهِ وَأَسْمَائِهِ وَصِفَاتِهِ فَمَنْ رَدَّ شَيْءَ مِنْ ذَلِكَ فَهُوَ مِنَ الْفِرَقِ الْهَالِكَ كَالْجَهْمِيَّ وَالْمَعْتَزِلَ وَنَحْوِهِمَا كَمَا أَنَّ أَهْلَ السُّنَّةِ وَالْجَمَاعَةِ لَمْ يَسْلُكُوا مَسْلَكَ التَّأْوِيلِ الْمَذْمُومِ الَّذِي سَلَكَهُ كُلُّ مُعَطِّلٍ وَمُؤَوِّلٍ وَلَمْ يَسْلُكُوا مَسْلَكَ أَهْلِ التَّشْبِيهِ وَالتَّمْثِيلِ So Ahlul Sunnah we do not reject anything of that If you reject the names and attributes of Allah, then you will fall into the way of the people of innovation, the destroyed sects. The destroyed ones like the Jahmiyyah, the Mu'tazila and those likes. The ones who rejected the true understanding of Ahlul Sunnah regarding the names and attributes. And they made comparisons and they made rejections and they made interpretations of the names and attributes of Allah, none of which was established in the Qur'an and the Sunnah. And this is where a big difference occurs between the people. 
You know, when you see all of these different groups and sects, you have the Jama'atul Tablir, you have the Brailwi, you have the Sufi, you have the Ikhwani, you have all these different groups. One of the big things that all of these groups, their origins came from, was differences in Aqidah. Those groups deviated away in the correct understanding of Aqidah. The Sufis deviated away in the correct understanding of Aqidah. The Khawarij, the Takfiris, deviated away in the correct understanding of Aqidah. Those issues in Aqidah were the cause of all of these different groups. Now you see some of these groups, they say Allah is everywhere. That is their belief. They say Allah is everywhere. Where have they got this from? Is there anything in the Quran and the Sunnah that says Allah is everywhere? Yes, we know Allah sees everything, hears everything, knows about everything, has power over everything. Yes. But is Allah Himself everywhere? That is not in the Quran and the Sunnah. In the Quran and the Sunnah it says Allah is not everywhere, but above all of the creation. In the Quran it says it, that Allah is above all of this creation, all of the heavens, the earth, the universe, all of this, Allah is above it all. That is the correct belief. Not to say Allah is everywhere here, here, here. How can you say that? How can you say Allah is everywhere here? Humans walking, stepping, dirty, toilets. And you're going to say Allah is everywhere here, mixed in with us? The Creator is mixed in with His creation? How can that be? The Creator, the mighty and the majestic, your Lord, you're going to say He's mixed in with us here? Us, the weak people, Allah created us. And you're going to say Allah is mixed in with us everywhere here? A'udhu billah. That is not correct. That is the people of deviation. Allah said in the Quran, ثُمَّ اسْتَوَى عَلَى الْعَرْشِ Allah is above the throne, rose above the throne, established above the throne. All of these planets and universe and everything, above all of that, Allah is above all of the creation, separate from this creation. Not that Allah is with us and in us and everywhere. That is the belief of some of these philosophers and some of the Sufis. Those are the types of things that made these groups. They deviated away. So Ahlul Sunnah said, no, either you accept the correct belief, which is Allah is above, or you people have gone astray and we will warn the people against your beliefs. Other people, they came along and they went into wrong beliefs about other things in Aqidah. Like the Khawarij, the Takfiris, like these ISIS people nowadays, Al-Qaeda before them, and nowadays too. One of their beliefs is the Takfiri Khariji belief in Aqidah, which is false, that if a person commits a major sin, you're a kafir. You commit a major sin and you die upon that sin without repentance, you're a kafir, you're going to be in the hellfire forever, they say. So if a Muslim drinks alcohol, is that a sin or not? It's a sin. Major sin. Major sin. What if he dies without repenting? He never made tawbah and he died. Does that mean that he's now a kafir, he will be in the hellfire forever? It doesn't. If a Muslim commits a major sin, and dies without making tawbah, then on the day of judgment, he will be held accountable, he may be punished for doing that major sin, maybe in the fire, he may be punished in the hellfire first, put there first. But in the end, in the end, what will happen? In the end, once he has been punished for those sins, he's a Muslim at the end of the day, he will be taken out in the end, and put into paradise. A person who dies on the shahada, La ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah. If you commit sins, that doesn't make you a kafir. Shirk, that's a different story. But sins, drinking alcohol, stealing, killing someone even. These types of sins, as the scholars mention, they do not make you a kafir forever in the hellfire. They are sins. You may be punished in the hellfire, but then you'll be taken out and to put into paradise. But the Khawarij, the Takfiris, ISIS, and these people, what do they say? If a Muslim drinks alcohol, doesn't make tawbah and dies, that's it, he's kafir. He's going to be in the hellfire forever. So they separated away. They were separated away from Ahlul Sunnah. This is how the groups, they separated away. Another group of deviation, they came and started to say, for example, the Qur'an, Allah didn't speak the Qur'an. What is the Qur'an? What is the Qur'an? It is the speech of Allah. Allah spoke this Qur'an. It is the speech of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
It's mentioned, Jibreel alayhi salam heard the Qur'an from Allah. Allah spoke the Qur'an, all of it, and Jibreel heard it. And then he went and taught the Prophet Allah spoke the Qur'an. This is the speech of Allah. But some of the people of innovation, what do they say? Allah didn't speak the Qur'an, Allah doesn't speak, they say. Allah created the Qur'an, just made it, created it. He never spoke it. How can that be? Ibrahim salam, when he refuted the mushrikeen, he said, these idols that you worship, these statues you worship, when Ibrahim salam said to his father and his people, these idols and statues you worship, how do you worship them? They can't even speak. They can't even speak. How can they be gods? Which shows that somebody who is truly the creator, the mighty, the majestic, the Lord, then from the characteristics of Allah is of course that He speaks. How can you say that Allah cannot speak? Just like they were saying, the, uh, Ibrahim salam said to them, they can't even speak, how can they be gods? Allah speaks, it's in the Qur'an. وَكَلَّمَ اللَّهُ مُوسَى تَكْلِيمًا In the Qur'an, the ayah, it says, Allah spoke to Musa a.s. Muhammad sallam. Allah spoke to Muhammad sallam. And on the day of judgment, it mentions, مَا مِنْكُمْ مِنْ عَبْدٍ إِلَّا سَيُكَلِّمُهُ رَبُّهُ يَوْمِ الْقِيَامَةِ لَيْسَ بَيْنَهُ وَبَيْنَهَا أَبَيْنَهُ وَبَيْنَهُ تَرْجُمَانِ Or كَمَا قَالْ That on the day of judgment, Allah will speak to every one of you. There will be no interpretation in between. Allah will speak to you all directly. Allah speaks. But the people of innovation want to say, no, Allah doesn't speak. These are the things about aqeedah, that the groups of innovation, they went away. They went away from Ahlul Sunnah. That is why you see these sects. The majority reason, one of the biggest reasons, is their deviation in understanding the correct aqidah. How many people now, this example we gave about Allah, all of the Muslims, you ask them, they say, Allah is everywhere. That is not the correct aqidah. It is not the correct aqidah. In the Quran, Allah tells you He is above the throne. In the Sunnah, when the Prophet said to that girl, Ain Allah, where is Allah? She said, above the heavens, fis sama, fis sama. Did the Prophet say to her, no, that's wrong, Allah is everywhere. No, he said that's correct. He said to Muawiyah, free her. Free her, she's believing, she's a believing servant. She has spoken the truth, Allah is above. So now the Muslims, the issue is the aqidah. They don't understand what the aqidah really is. Blindly following their parents and their culture and their society, everybody says Allah is everywhere. Okay, Allah is everywhere. That's the correct aqidah. Wrong. You need to learn and study what the Quran really says, what the Sunnah really says, what the Hadith really says. And that's what this book is about. All of this book, we're going to go through the aqidah. That's what the purpose of this book is about. So here then, the Shaykh says, وَالَّذِي يَنْبَغِي أَنْ يُعْلَمْ Something which is suitable everybody appropriately needs to know about. Something that everybody needs to know about. أَنَّ جَمِيعَ نُصُوصِ الصِّفَاتِ فِي الْكِتَابِ وَالسُنَّةِ لَيْسَتْ مِنْ قَبِيلِ الْمُتَشَابِهِ الَّذِي لَا يُعْلَمُ مَعْنَهُ إِلَّا لَا يَعْلَمُ مَعْنَهُ إِلَّا اللَّهِ وَإِنَّمَا هِيَ مِنْ قَبِيلِ الْمُحْكَمِ فَهِيَ مَعْلُومَةُ الْأَلْفَاظِ وَمَعْلُومَةُ الْمَعَانِ the Shaykh says, the ayat which talk about the names and attributes of Allah in the Qur'an, they are not mutashabih. The ayat which are mutashabih are the ayat which may be on the surface of it in your understanding ambiguous. You need to go back to other ayat to see the context to realize their meaning. Whereas other ayat, straightforward, in their context, it makes sense straight away, you know exactly their meaning. So there are two types of ayat in the Qur'an. Some of them are muhkam, in of themselves they are crystal clear, no possibility of any interpretation. There are other ayat though, when you look at them in your shortcoming of your mind, it is possible that you interpret an ambiguous meaning. Is it this or is it that? And the way to work out what it is, is to take those ayat and put them into the context of the first category of ayat, which are the ones which are crystal clear. Put these ones into that context, and then you realize what the meaning is. The names and attributes of Allah, which category of ayat are they? 
Are they crystal clear or are they perhaps ambiguous? You need to work them out from the other ayat. They are crystal clear. Names and attributes of Allah are not from the mutashabih. They are not from the affairs that, does it mean this, does it mean that, could it be, could it be, take it to the, no. The names and attributes of Allah are from the muhkamat. Clear cut. Names and attributes of Allah. Accept them, affirm them as they are. None of this interpretation, none of this uh, uh, making your own judgments and your own analysis. So the words are clear, the meanings to what we understand are clear. فَهِيَ مَعْلُومَةُ الْأَلْفَاظِ مَعْلُومَةُ الْمَعَانِ يَعْلَمُهَا السَّائِرُونَ عَلَى نَهْجِ أَهْلِ سُنَّةِ وَالْجَمَاعَةِ فَلَيْسَ فِيهَا شَيْءٌ مُشْكِلٌ وَإِنَّمَا كُلُّهَا وَاضِحَةُ الْأَلْفَاظِ وَالْمَعَانِ So the names and attributes of Allah are clear. There is no issue in them. They are clear and the salaf, they knew that. They knew these affairs are clear. That's why you don't hear from the salaf. You don't hear examples from the salaf about them asking with regards to confusions about the names and attributes of Allah. You don't get any narrations like that where they are asking about confusions over the meanings of the names and attributes of Allah, because there was none. This was muhkam. They didn't used to come and ask, O Messenger of Allah, could it be that Allah is everywhere? They never used to ask that, because it was clear, Ar-Rahman ala al-Arsh istawa. Allah, Ar-Rahman, is arisen or established above the throne. So they knew, Allah is above the throne, Allah is above. No confusion, O Messenger, could Allah be everywhere? They never used to ask those things. Because it was clear. So now these things are clear in the Quran. هذه آية محكمة لأنها واضحة اللفظ والمعنى. When it says الرحمن, Allah الرحمن على العرش استوى, rose above, was established above his throne. Is there any confusion in that? Where is the throne? If somebody says, okay, this ayah is talking about Allah being above the throne, where's the throne? In the Sunnah, it tells you. In the hadith where it tells you about the heavens, every heaven to the next heaven 500 years worth, to the next heaven 500 years worth, to the next heaven a gap of 500 years worth. And it carries on and carries on until at the top, the top thing above all of the heavens is the throne of Allah. That is the highest thing, the throne of Allah on top of all of this creation. Then Allah is where? Above that. The last thing in the creation at the top is the throne of Allah. And then above that is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's in the sunnah. So clear, nothing to ask about. Allah is above the throne, and we know the throne is the top of the creation. In the hadith it says, the throne of Allah is like the ceiling. It is the ceiling of all of this creation. It is the ceiling upon all of this creation, the throne of Allah at the top. When Allah is above that, finished, clear. So why do you need to ask, is Allah everywhere, is Allah here, is Allah there? Salaf never used to ask that. Because these ayat are clear. Clear in the meaning that Allah is above. Then, he mentions, وَمَا أَشْكَلَ مِنْ ذَلِكَ If something becomes confusing, Something becomes problematic for you with regards to the names and attributes of Allah. Then what do you do? Wajaba ifbatuhu lafzan. You affirm the wording. You affirm what is in the ayah. وَتَرْكُ التَّعَرُّضِ لِمَعْنَاهُ وَنَرُدُّ عِلْمَهُ إِلَى قَائِلِهِ وَنَجْعَلُ عُحْدَتَهُ عَلَى نَاقِلِهِ he says, if something becomes confusing, then you accept it as it is and leave the meaning. Leave the meaning to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That line by Ibn Qudama al-Maqdisi rahimahullahu ta'ala, the scholars have said, is actually not quite phrased correctly. Because that isn't correct in that way. It isn't the case that you leave the knowledge of that to Allah. That would be like the people of Tafweed, which is incorrect. So this line, the scholars have said, isn't quite phrased correctly in Lum'atul I'tiqad. This particular line, it isn't phrased quite correctly. Because firstly, 
Firstly, what is the first problem? He says, if anything does become problematic, does become ambiguous, can't understand it, affirm the word and leave the meaning to Allah then. What is the first problem? Like we just said, names and attributes aren't confusing, complicating, ambiguous. They are clear cut in the first place. So there's no such thing of thinking this is like the mutashabih. It's ambiguous. That doesn't arise. The names and attributes of Allah are from the muhkamat. So that in the first case isn't really correct to say. They are clear. They are not ambiguous or have any issue in them. And as for the second point, that we just affirm it and leave all else to Allah, that isn't correct either. Because that is the way of the people of deviation. Ahlul tafwil. Wal mufawwada. They are the ones who affirm the word. Allah has hands. They say, okay, hands. Anything more than that, they say, we have no idea. Which is above what Ahlul Sunnah actually state. We affirm that Allah has hands. And we know the meaning of the word hands. But we don't know the description and the details. So hands, we know what hands are. We don't know what the hands of Allah are in terms of the details and the descriptions. But we know what hands are. So we affirm that Allah has hands. We don't just affirm the word without any meaning to it. Allah has hands and the meaning is hands. We know what hands are generally. Details and specifics and descriptions, no. That we do not know. So it would be wrong to say simply affirm the word and leave everything else to Allah. That would be like the people of innovation then. We affirm the word and we affirm the general understanding. Hands, hands, eyes, eyes. We have that general understanding and we affirm that. The rest of it, the details of how, the precision, the explanation, the details, we do not know. Then he goes on to say, اِتِّبَاعًا لِطَرِيقِ الرَّاسِخِينَ فِي الْعِلْمِ That you follow the path of the firmly grounded in knowledge. الَّذِينَ أَثْنَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِمْ فِي كِتَابِهِ الْمُبِينَ بِقَوْلِهِ وَسُبْحَانَهُ وَالرَّاسِخُونَ فِي الْعِلْمِ يَقُولُونَ آمَنَّا بِهِ كُلٌّ مِنْ عِنْدِ رَبِّنَا Follow the path of those who are firmly grounded in knowledge. Follow the path of those who are firmly grounded in knowledge. Established in knowledge. Not anybody who comes along now, not all of these YouTube people. They come on YouTube, they make a video and they say they are Sheikh. Who is this person? Where did he study? What does he know? Nobody knows. But he says, I am Sheikh. And he starts talking about Islam. He says, I am Sheikh. On the YouTube, makes lots of videos, everybody watches it. Who is he? Where did he study from? Who taught him? Which books does he know? Nobody knows anything about him. And they all say they are Sheikh. Hundreds, thousands, everybody can be Sheikh on YouTube now. You can make your own video and you make your own title. You make the title. Sheikh, uh, Khalid, Fulan, uh, whatever you want to call it. You've made yourself Sheikh. This isn't the one. Here, the author says, follow the firmly grounded scholars. Those who are established in knowledge. As Allah mentioned in the Quran, وَالرَّاسِخُونَ فِي الْعِلْمِ يَقُولُونَ آمَنَّا بِهِ كُلُّ مِنْ عِنْدَ رَبِّنَا The firmly grounded in knowledge, they say, we believe in him, or, or in it, all of it is, uh, we believe in him, all of it is from our Lord. هذا القول غير مسلم أيضا للمؤلف لما يشعر به من المخالفة لمعتقد أهل السنة والجماعة وَلِأَنَّ طَرِيقَ الرَّاسِخِينَ فِي الْعِلْمِ الْإِيمَانُ بِأَسْمَاءِ اللَّهِ وَصِفَاتِهِ وَأَفْعَالِهِ So the author here seems to indicate that the people of knowledge have a methodology of accepting the word and leaving all else. And that isn't correct. The methodology of the people of knowledge is accepting those words and meanings. Beyond that, the descriptions we don't know. وَقَالَ فِي ذَمِّ مُبْتَغِ التَّأْوِيلِ لِمُتَشَابِهِ تَنْزِيلِ And then, in terms of the dispraiseworthiness of those who attempt to interpret, make their own interpretations. Allah said about them, فَأَمَّا الَّذِينَ فِي قُلُوبِهِمْ زَيْلِ Those who have some misguidance, some issue in their heart, فَيَتَّبِعُونَ مَا تَشَابَهَ مِنْهُ They follow the ambiguous affairs. اِبْتِغَاءَ الْفِتْنَةِ Seeking 
fitna with that, seeking trials and tribulations with that. And seeking to make their own interpretations from that. These are the people of innovation that are mentioned here in the Qur'an. And the Prophet ﷺ in the hadith of Aisha warned her against these types of people, the ones who follow their desires. They want to interpret everything from their desires. They say, what do you mean Allah is above the throne? Allah is everywhere. That's their desire, so that's what they want to teach everybody. And that is false. Don't teach people your own desire. Teach people what is there, the proof, the Qur'an and the sunnah. Then, one more point to make regarding the mutashabih of the Qur'an. The mutashabih of the Qur'an is two types. The mutashabih means something which resembles something else. That's what ambiguity is. Ambiguity can be something which resembles something else and you can't tell the difference which one which. The Qur'an, all of it is mutashabih in one respect, which is that all of it resembles each other. All of the Qur'an resembles each other. The ayat, the surahs of the Qur'an, they are all in resemblance to each other. In the perfection of it, in the beauty of it, in the uh, truthfulness of it. So there is a resemblance of the Qur'an, all of it, to each other, every surah, every ayah to each other. In terms of the resemblance of all of it being the truth, the speech of Allah, all of it being guidance, all of the perfection in it all. The second type of mutashabih is the ayat as we said, whereby in of themselves, due to your shortcoming, it may look like there's an ambiguous meaning to this ayah. It could mean this and it could mean that. That's because of the shortcoming in your understanding. So what do you do with these ayat to realize and to understand what is the meaning then? Take this ayah and put it into the context of the ayat that were clear cut, crystal clear. No ambiguity for you. Put this ayah into their context and it will become clear to you what the intent of this ayah is. What do the people of innovation do though? They get these ayat which are maybe ambiguous. They don't take them back to the rest of the Qur'an to work out exactly what it means. Instead, they keep them separate. Separate away from the Qur'an. And they put their own interpretation onto it. So now when people come and they look at this ayah, when they see this interpretation, because it's one of those ayat that possibly could have that interpretation, it's therefore believable to these people. They say, okay, you're right, this ayah could mean that. Because it is slightly ambiguous in our minds. So this interpretation you've given, it looks right. Maybe it means that, so they accept that interpretation. And that's how they go astray. That's how the people of innovation, they went astray, misguided, one of the ways in their aqidah. Putting their own interpretations onto these ayat instead of taking them back to the muhkamat, to the crystal clear ayat in order to get the correct understanding. So that is what the Shaykh mentions up to that section. And that is the section we'll round off on today, conclude upon that point. If there's any questions up to there, what we've mentioned so far, then you can ask that now. If we're able to answer, we will do so. Uh, otherwise, we'll conclude upon that point. <coughs> So they say when certainty comes to you, when you reach, they say that means when you reach that certain level of Iman, you don't have to do the obligations anymore. That's why the big Sufis, the big Imams, the top level, they don't, they don't pray. They say we don't need to pray. We reached the high level of certainty and Iman, we don't have to pray. The big Sufi Imams, big, big ones. 
They say we reached such a level, we don't have to pray. Like that one in Cyprus, the one who died now, Sheikh Nazim, he used to call himself. You remember Sheikh Nazim from Cyprus. He used to say that he reached such a level that the angels that write down all of your deeds, he said the angels came to me when I was 80 years old or something. He was very old when he died. He said, when I was 80 or something, the angels came to me and said, you've reached the high level in Iman. We're not writing your deeds anymore. Finished. You can do what you want. That's what he says. YouTube video. He's talking himself. Recorded. Video recorded. He said, they came to me and they said to me, you've got to such a level, your Iman, everything. We're not writing anymore. Finished. Your book is closed. You can do what you want. This is what they believe. But the problem is, if the ayah meant that, if that's what the ayah meant, then how come Abu Bakr as-Siddiq never got to that? And Umar never got to that? In fact, in fact, how come the Prophet ﷺ never got to that? The Prophet ﷺ, was he praying all the way till the last moment until his death or not? The Prophet ﷺ never got to this level. He was praying all the way. And these people are going to say they got to the level they don't have to pray. None of the Sahaba ever said the angels came to us and said, you are... Reach the level. Your iman is finished, complete. Got to the top level. We're not writing anymore for you. You're free. Do what you want. Ever? Never. So these people, when they make these interpretations, then really, these interpretations would mean that they are better than even the companions. Because even the companions didn't reach these levels. Companions never got to a level of iman where they don't have to pray anymore. So it shows you their interpretation is nonsense. It doesn't mean that at all. You worship your Lord until death comes to you. Worship your Lord until death comes to you. Not that you stop now and say, I've reached a high level of Iman. Clearly that is a false interpretation. That is what they've done exactly. Taken this ayah, put their own interpretation on it. Nobody from the companions gave it that interpretation. Nobody from the companions from the Salaf ever thought, this ayah means when I get to a certain level of Iman, I can stop praying. Because they never learned that from the Prophet They knew this ayah doesn't mean that. But the people of innovation, they come, they interpret with their own interpretation, with their desires. They don't want to pray. They say, we've reached the level now, we don't have to pray. Look, this ayah proves that we don't have to pray. That is their false interpretation that makes them go astray in aqidah. The understanding, the firstly, firstly, why does Allah do it? That is a question that is above us, all of us humans. Because Allah said in the Quran, وَمَا أُوتِيتُمْ مِنَ الْعِلْمِ إِلَّا قَلِيلًا You have not been given knowledge except a small amount. The reasons why Allah does things, we can't answer for that. Nobody can. Anybody tries to say, I'll tell you why Allah does this and why does that, straight away you know he's wrong. We cannot answer why Allah does this, why Allah does that. That is the wisdom of Allah. Everything Allah does is with wisdom. Everything Allah does is with wisdom. So this is from the actions of Allah, it is with wisdom. What do I understand from it though? You can understand from that, the great mercy of Allah, encouragement. Does it not encourage you? Knowing that in the last third of the night, Allah says, make dua to me and I will answer it. Does it not encourage you to get up and pray? Does it encourage you to do worship? Encourage you to make dua? Knowing that Allah is telling you He is close. In the Quran, Allah says as well, mentions about being close. So Allah is now telling you that He comes close, comes to the lowest heaven, answers your dua. All of the understanding we get from that is encouragement to worship Allah. Gives you even more uh, enthusiasm. You want to get up, just like all of the salaf they used to do. Oh, well, the salaf as a whole, as a general statement, the scholars, they all do that. The great scholars and the people of knowledge awake in the last third of the night praying. 
making dua because there is encouragement in the Quran and the Sunnah telling you Allah comes to the lowest heaven, answers your dua. So this gives us encouragement for worship. That's what we understand. Why does Allah do it when He can hear and see everything? That is not something we can answer. That is beyond us. Allah never told us these reasons. The Prophet ﷺ never explained these reasons. And in fact, it is not even correct to ask about why Allah does these things. We cannot ask. In the Quran it says, what does it say in the Quran? لا يسأل عما يفعل Allah is not asked about why He does what He does. So Allah does what He does with wisdom. All of the actions of Allah upon wisdom. So this is an action of Allah upon wisdom. What we understand from it is encouragement as one thing. Encouragement to worship Allah. Encouragement to wake up and pray in the last day of the night. Encouragement to seek forgiveness for our sins. That is the, the benefit for us. Yeah, but as you said, that most scholars, that they try to explain in their own words, mm-hmm. what does it mean? And they say his rahmat is very close to you, this mm-hmm. and that. Mm-hmm. And on one hand, you're saying you're not supposed to figure it out. Why? That he's come down to the earthly heaven. Mm-hmm. But then you're still saying that you're explaining it as well. What it means that you know you're supposed to worship more, you know, get up at later night and then pray to him. But that's not an explanation of why Allah does it. That's just an explanation of what we benefit. I'm not explaining the reason why Allah comes down. I'm not explaining uh, the the explanation of how He comes down. All of that is the wisdom of Allah. What do I benefit from it? Allah, I know in the Sunnah it tells me now that Allah comes down to the lowest heaven. So what does that mean for me? It means I want to get up and pray. I want to make dua because Allah says, "Man who is seeking my forgiveness? I will forgive them. So I want to be one of those people I'm seeking His forgiveness. So I will, I will get up and I will pray. That is just what I benefit. I'm not explaining why Allah comes, uh, how He comes. That is outside of our explanation. But all I know is Allah says He comes to the lowest heaven. I believe Allah comes to the lowest heaven in the last day of the night. Is there anything I can do? Yes, I can get up and I can make dua because Allah is saying at that time, who is seeking my forgiveness? I will give it to you. So I want to be one of those people in the last third of the night. I want to get up, I want to pray, I want to seek forgiveness, so I be one of those who Allah forgives. So I'm just practicing what the narration says. The narration says, Allah asks, who is forgiving me? Uh, who is uh, seeking my forgiveness? And I will forgive them. So I want to be one of those people. Allah says in that one, who is asking me for anything else, any dua? I will answer it. So I want to be one of those people. So all I'm doing is, I'm looking at the narration. Narration says Allah forgives at that time. All the time Allah forgives. But that one, even more, forgives and answers the dua. So I want to be one of those people who gets the forgiveness, who gets my dua. So I get up and pray. That's, that's the explanation of why I do the action. But why Allah does it like that? Allah could stay on top of the throne and do it. Of course, those things we don't get into involved. We don't have knowledge of it. We don't ask even now. Imagine, some people they say, how can this hadith be true? Because in the world, right now somewhere is the last third of the night. Huh? Maybe Australia, America, somewhere now is last third of the night. Now here is 8 o'clock. When it's last third of the night here, 2 o'clock in the morning, it will be sunrise in Australia. So always, somewhere in the world is always the last third of the night. Always in the world is the last third of the night somewhere. So somebody might say, how does Allah come last all the time last third of the night? Now it's last third of the night, 2 o'clock to 4 o'clock. As soon as it goes 4 o'clock here, Fajr, but somewhere else it will start last third of the night. Always there will be last third of the night somewhere. So how, how, what does that mean then? How can Allah come in the last third of the night? Does that mean all the time Allah is coming? Then we say, no, stop. Do not ask this question because Allah did not give us knowledge about that. Did the companions not work this out? Do you think the companions didn't work this out? Did they not know about the sunrise and the sunset and the different time zones? Of course they knew. They knew about the moon and everything of the sun. Why did they not say to the Prophet Oh Messenger of Allah, we don't understand this narration. Last third of the night? Okay, when our last third of the night in Medina finishes, over there in Palestine, or in, it'll be last third of the night there. And then uh, over there in China, last third of the night. How does it work, O Messenger of Allah? Why did they never ask him? Not a single hadith. Because they knew these things we don't need to ask about. They don't have any impact for us. All we need to worry about is, we know wherever you are, last third of the night Allah descends and says, I will forgive, I will answer your dua. So you get up in your last third of the night and you make your dua. How does it work with the time zones and everything? We don't need to ask about, that's beyond the knowledge. Allah said, وَمَا أُوتِيتُمْ مِنَ الْعِلْمِ إِلَّا قَلِيلًا You've not been given from knowledge except a small amount. 
if anybody tries to do anything more, they say, no, but we will try to give some explanation to make it work. What could it mean? Maybe it's the mercy of Allah, maybe it's this, that, the other. Those explanations, the problem is there is no justification for it. Somebody says it means the mercy of Allah. Okay, based upon what proof? What is your proof that it is the mercy of Allah? How? If somebody says it is the angel of Allah, some people say it's the angel of Allah, that's what it means. Some people say it's the mercy of Allah, that's what it means. Some people say it's the qudra, the ability of Allah. They say all these things. But where? How? How have you got this? Who said this? Did Abu Bakr as-Siddiq say this? Did the Salaf say this? Did the Sahabi say this? Who said it? Is there a hadith where he said this? Nothing. Just interpretation of people. And interpretations of people is not the Quran and the Sunnah and the Revelation. So now you have a choice. You can either take the interpretations of people. If you're going to do that, I'll give you interpretation now. You give me interpretation. We'll have 20 interpretations now. Everybody give their own interpretation. You can either do that or you can say, we're not going to follow people's interpretations. Whatever it just says, we will stick as it says. Allah says, last third of the night he descends. He says, who is asking my forgiveness? I will forgive you. Who is asking me for anything else? I will give it to you. Who is uh, uh, making the dua, etc. We believe in that. I'll get up. I'll make the seeking forgiveness. I'll ask for tawbah. I'll do all of that. I'll pray. I'll worship. Because Allah descends in the last third of the night. All these other explanations. No, it's the mercy. It's this. It's that. Not a single hadith to prove any of them. I don't need to get involved in that. Allah says he descends. I'll believe Allah descends. Allah says make dua, make forgiveness. I'll seek forgiveness. I'll make dua. And I hope that Allah forgives me. That's enough for me. Why do you need to go? It's mercy. It's, it's power. It's angels. Why do we need to do that? Is it not enough for you as a Muslim? Get up in the last third of the night and make dua and seek forgiveness because Allah says he forgives you in the last third of the night. Isn't that enough? There's no need to go into interpretations. When you start going into interpretations, you can never stop. One imam comes, he gives interpretation. Another one comes, he gives interpretation. All of them don't have any proof. No Quran, ayah, no hadith, no uh, uh, statement of the sahaba. So you can't make these interpretations. All of them are going to be wrong. The only interpretation which you can have is the interpretation of the Quran and the Sunnah. I'll give you an example. In the Quran it says, لِلَّذِينَ أَحْسَنُوا الْحُسْنَ وَزِيَادَةِ Those who do goodness, they will be given husna. Waziyada. Husna means paradise. They will be given paradise. The ones who do goodness. The righteous people, the good people. The muttaqeen. But then in the ayah it says, waziyada, And they will be given extra. What could extra be? Allah says the good people will be given paradise and extra. Is there more reward on top of paradise? What is extra? What is the interpretation of extra? Seeing Allah in paradise, we will be able to see Allah. How do we know this interpretation? Have the imams made up this interpretation? If they did, we wouldn't accept it. How do we know this interpretation is the right one? That they will have paradise and they will have extra, meaning they'll be able to see Allah. Even though humans, we cannot understand how when we see Allah, but there will be vision. But how do we know this ayah is interpreted like that in the first place? That as well, but there's a hadith, there is a hadith in Sahih Muslim. The Prophet ﷺ said, this ayah, the ziyada, means you will be able to see Allah. So who's the interpretation coming from? The Prophet ﷺ, revelation. If you get it like that, no problem, take it. But if you don't get it like that, and just imams and other people are making interpretations, that cannot be acceptable. Then you stick to what it says and just stick to that. It says Allah descends, I believe Allah descends in the last third of the night. It says Allah is asking you who is seeking forgiveness, I'll forgive you. I'll believe that, I will seek forgiveness. That's it. Simple as that. That's the way of the Salaf. Is that more clear or anything else as well? Yes, yes, you have your voice, yes. <laughs> huh? Yeah, some of the scholars say only the believers will see Allah on the Day of Judgment. It's in the Quran about seeing Allah on the Day of Judgment. They will be looking at Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But even this, people of innovation come give interpretation. They say, no, it says the people are going to be looking at Allah. How can you see Allah? Astaghfirullah. They say, no, 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 you can't see Allah. This means, you, uh, it means something else. It means you will see something else. Make interpretations. Why? In the ayah says to you, nadira ila Their faces will be looking at Allah. 
Why are you going to make interpretation and say, no, this doesn't mean you're going to see Allah. It says you're going to see Allah. So we believe that. Yes, it says in another ayah, لا تدركه الأبصار Your eyesight cannot understand the vision of Allah. So we believe that too. So how do you make it together? It means you will see Allah, but Allah is so mighty and powerful and majestic, you will not be able to understand everything how you see Allah. Like now when you see the moon, you do not understand everything. When you see the moon now outside, I say to you, how many craters are there on the moon? Or how much does the moon weigh? When you look at the moon, can you tell me how much it weighs? You don't know. When you look at the moon, I say to you, how bit, how how many kilometers, how many miles is the moon? You have no idea. You can see it, but you don't understand everything, do you? Same as this, you can see Allah, but you will not understand everything. And that is in the Quran. Now if somebody says, no, it means something else, then they are making their own interpretations. The way of the Salaf is, you do not make these types of interpretations. Because there's no basis. How? How are you going to interpret it? Which evidence? You can't just use your brain. If you use your brain, there's six billion people in the world now. You can have six billion different opinions. Everybody give their opinion what you interpret this ayah. That's not the religion. Allah didn't give us religion like that, make your own interpretations. Ali ibn Abi Talib said, Ali ibn Abi Talib radiallahu anhu, you know when you make wudu and you wipe on the socks, he said, if our religion was based upon our own interpretations, then what would everybody do when you wipe on the socks? Which side would you wipe? Ali ibn Abi Talib said, if we use our interpretations, everybody will say, wipe on the bottom side, that's where the dirt is. Why are you wiping on the top for? But we wipe on the top because that is the sunnah. That's what it says. If people are going to use interpretation, they'll say, no, maybe maybe that meant something else. It meant something else. Really, obviously, you have to wipe on the bottom side. How can you wipe on the top? All the dust is on the bottom side. So why don't they do this interpretation? If you do interpretations, you end up misguided. Stick to the sunnah the way it is. Hmm. No. No. Not necessarily. It doesn't have to be the leather socks only. It can be normal socks too. The fuqaha, the scholars of fiqh, the scholars of fiqh in their books, they say that the cloth which covers all of your foot up to your ankle, and it's not see-through, it's not really thin, nice, good cloth, covers all of your foot up to your ankle, you can wipe it. It doesn't have to be leather. It's not a condition to be leather. If he says what? No, that's just, uh, some people they have this belief. Yeah. But these things you, you can't blindly follow a madhab. Yeah. The hadith, so many hadith. When Al Mughira ibn Shu'bah, one of the companions, he was about, when Prophet was making wudu one day. Hadith, authentic, sahih hadith. Prophet was making wudu one day, one of the companions, Al Mughira ibn Shu'bah, radiallahu anhu. He noticed the Prophet was making wudu and he still had his leather socks on. So Al-Mughira ibn Shu'ba didn't know about the wiping thing. So he came and he was about to take the socks off for the Prophet Prophet was making his wudu and he was about to get to the feet. So Al-Mughira ibn Shu'ba thought, I will help the Prophet I'll just take his socks off for him. So he bent down, he was about to take them off. The Prophet said what to him? Da'huma, leave them. فَإِنِّي أَدْخَلْتُهُمَا طَاهِرَتَيْ Because I put them on upon purity. Meaning, he explained to him, leave them. I put them on on purity. I had wudu when I put them on. Now if you break your wudu, I can wipe over them. Hadith. So how are you going to say you're not allowed to wipe over the socks? You know when the people say you have to follow madhab. You have to follow madhab. You have to follow Malik. You have to follow Shafi'i, Abu Hanifa, Ahmad ibn Hanbal. Then you should say to them, if somebody says to you, for example, you have to follow Imam Abu Hanifa. You have to be Hanafi. You should ask them. This is a good question they always say. Ask them, Abu Bakr as-Siddiq, which one was he? Was he Hanafi, Shafi'i, Malik, or Hanbali? Which one was he? Abu Bakr Siddiq, which one was he? Why not? Which one was Abu Bakr? Was he Hanafi or Shafi'i, Malik, or Hanbali? Which one? Abu Bakr. Exactly. So what was their religion? What was the religion of Abu Bakr then? What was the religion of Umar? Religion of Uthman, of Ali? What? They never had madhab? 
Tihad madhab, madhab of the sunnah. What you find in the hadith, you don't blindly follow one thing. Al-Imam Abu Hanifa, Malik, Shafi, Ahmad, they all had good things. But sometimes, maybe one of them made a mistake, other one was right. Maybe another time that one was right and this one made a mistake. None of, they weren't prophets. They had good explanations of the religion and hadith. But some of them may have had a shortcoming here, some of them had a shortcoming there. So you don't just blindly follow. What did all of them say? Every one of them said it. Shafi, Malik, Abu Hanifa, Ma, uh, Ahmed. All of them said the same thing. They said, in my madhab, if you ever see something that I say, and it opposes a hadith which you found, imagine I said something in my madhab, and afterwards you're looking through some hadith Bukhari, and you see something which goes against what I said. Then what did they say you have to do? Every one of them they said it. They said, forget about what I said, then follow the hadith. If you ever notice any hadith goes against my madhab, what I said, forget about what I said, follow the hadith. None of them said blindly, follow me, stick to me, whatever happens. This is mistake from people. If you see the hadith and it tells you something is, uh, uh, do it in a particular way. The madhab says do it different way. You can't say, no, I'm going to give priority to Shafi'i or Malik or Abu Hanifa or Ahmed. And the Prophet ﷺ in the hadith is telling you something else. So you don't blindly follow madhab. That isn't the way of the sunnah. How can you blindly follow madhab and maybe the hadith says something else? The kids, they can just stay quiet. Or the kids, just, just stay quiet, don't get involved in anything else. Because they're not able to advise. How are the kids going to advise anybody? They don't understand about these narrations, about hadith, about the, the, the religion, evidences. So if they say to the elder, no, you're wrong. The elder is going to say, be quiet. Why am I wrong? And the kids can't explain anything. So if you can't explain anything, just leave it. Don't do anything. If they force you, then okay. But if they don't force you, then you can do it. It's a sunnah. Sunnah, wipe over the socks. It's allowed for 24 hours. What's the best way though? Take the socks off and wash your feet or just do the massage? The best way... The option to do it. If I went to Moscow or at home, I was doing wuzu. And if I had no problem for me to take them off and wash the feet, mm-hmm. which is best? The best, uh, there's a hadith where the Prophet ﷺ said, إِنَّ اللَّهَ Allah loves... That you take the ease that he gives you. So if you've been given an ease, something easy to do, then it's permissible to do it. And the proof is in this hadith of Al-Mughira ibn Shu'bah. The Prophet ﷺ, he was making wudu, he could have taken his socks off. He, even Al-Mughira was going to do it for him. First of all, the socks that we wear here, we don't walk on them. In the olden days, when the leather, the leather uh, mm-hmm. was it, they used to walk on them. Mm-hmm. They didn't put shoes on top of them mm-hmm. and then walked in them. Mm-hmm. They were supposed to be worn on a day-to-day basis. You know, you can walk miles and miles in them mm-hmm. and no dirt or, you know, they won't tear them or something like that. They should be some sort of, you know, how strong they should be and how, you know, how weak they are and how far you can, you know, interpret it. Mm-hmm. But these socks, we just wear them because of the weather, but these are feet warm. Mm-hmm. Not to travel in them. Uh, but the, but the, the traveling, there's, hey, but there's two different rulings. For traveling, yeah. there's some hadith about traveling, you can keep the socks for three days. Yeah. And if you're not traveling for one day. But mm. how strong they should be? Strong, that's in the books of fiqh. The uh, scholars, they say, it has to be thick so you can't see the skin. You know, some socks are very thin. And you can see the skin color underneath. Some scholars say that's not good because it's too thin. So it should be a little bit thick, some scholars say. So you can't see the skin color. Nice, like, thick socks. So you can't see the skin color underneath, at least. They say that's okay. Hmm. For example, if you are in a workplace, you are working, and then you see uh, the times, and you have a shopping break, and you are worrying about the time, and you went to the toilet because you don't have enough time, and you make wudu, and you uh, wiping your socks like uh, on the top, and just, just go to Wipe on top of your socks? Yeah, like for example, and you weren't not some time, you don't have enough of time. Yeah, wiping on the socks is allowed. It's allowed. Yeah, then you can wipe and like if you do like uh, Zuhu time and Asri time, huh? it's allowed the same time. For one day it's allowed. For one day it's allowed. 
One day it's allowed. If you made wudu first, first time you have to make full wudu. Wash your feet. Then when you put the socks on, afterwards if your wudu breaks, you can wipe. But if you never made wudu first time, then you can't wipe on the socks. So first time you have to make wudu. Next time if you break it, you can wipe. It's allowed. Hole in the socks, this is a problem. Some of the scholars, they don't allow it because they say it's got to be full covering up to the ankle. It's got to cover all of it. But there are some narrations about the holes and about allowability of it because some of the sahaba, they used to have holes in their khuf, in the leather socks. Some of them used to have holes in them and they still used to wipe. There's some narrations about it. So some of the scholars maybe allow some small, small uh, bits, but uh, some of them will say it has to be all covered up to the ankles. But there are narrations about some of the salaf, they used to have holes in their, in their leather socks. But as a brother said, you know, when children go to mosque, you see, mm. instead of calling fitna, would it not be advisable to do full wudu? No, that's okay, that's true. If, if it's causing fitna, the elders are getting angry, the children are getting hit, take them off. No, no, they will hit them. Yeah. Everybody has their own understanding in it. Mm-hmm. People, now, if it's causing fitna, no problem, take them off. If it's causing fitna, take them off. It's not, it's not wajib to wipe on the socks. So, no, you can do it. So, if it's causing fitna, no problem, take them off. Don't cause a problem with the elders if they don't don't accept that. There's no issue in it. If you take them off and wash your feet, your wudu is correct. So no need to cause a problem. So we'll leave it there. Next week this is off. Cancelled next week because there's a conference in Birmingham. It's going to be a big conference, national conference. Everybody's coming Birmingham for three days. So uh, everybody's going to be there next week. Uh, all the lectures, everything in Birmingham for three days. So this is going to be off next week. The week after we'll come back inshallah. 1920, 21st August, I think it is, the week after we come back. Inshallah.